0: Welcome to another episode of the Wild Strength Podcast, where we talk about all things wild and all things strength-related, and really everything in between. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine, Nate Palin. Um, Nate is a former Army Ranger turned strength and conditioning professional. Uh, As soon as he got out of the military, well, I guess the first time he got out of the military, he went to college, decided that wasn't for him, and went back into the military to be an Army Ranger again. Um, And then when he got out the second time, he took the route of being a strength coach much like my last guest who I had on here, Brad. Um, And I've gone through this conversation so many times. I don't really do any editing in these episodes just because I like to keep them raw and real. This was just such a good conversation. And Nate is so smart and brings a lot to the table as far as experience goes, both his time in the military and his time in the coaching field. Uh, So yeah, I really just listened to this multiple times for my own sake. And kind of like I mentioned in my very first intro episode that I just have so many great conversations with so many incredible people. Um, And I really wanted to highlight those selfishly for myself so that I can go back and listen to them
1: um, and for others to listen to them as well. And this is one of those times where I definitely enjoy going back and listening to the conversation for myself. We get into so many
0: different things here. We talk a little bit about Nate's time in the Army. Um, We talk about stressful environments and resiliency and a little bit about training around those things. Nate talks a little bit about his thoughts around the idea of discipline. And I'll let you listen to find out what he has to say about that. But I do kind of have to agree with what he says there. Um, And then we end the episode talking about the metaphorical act of touching the fire, which is ultimately putting yourself in challenging situations to grow and to become a better you. Uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. I think it was great. It is geared more towards a very specific population, but I think there's so much in this uh, conversation that can be applied to everybody and all aspects of life. Um, So I hope you guys take away as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did. And once again, I hope that you enjoy this and we'll get into it all right welcome to another episode of the wild strength podcast you guys know the drill now hopefully Uh, i'm gonna start with nate's walk-up song here and then we'll get into introductions so without further ado here we go This is a really good walk-up song. The build-up to it and everything.
2: I didn't choose it by accident. <laughs> it ain't
0: never
3: heard nothing like this. a mic like, yes,
0: no. Yeah, that was a that's a solid one. I think also that's what fun. I'm gonna do is start like a playlist on Spotify of all the different like songs that people have chosen. Maybe someone listens to it, maybe they don't, but
2: <laughs> you should definitely do that. I will say this. For Soldiers of Sidelines, we have like a community for our events we have a challenge where people can choose what songs to play during the seminar, like during breaks, Mm -hmm. people choose some terrible music or just music. (laughs) That's like, like, are you just trying to put everybody to sleep at like 8 PM on a Tuesday? What are you doing?
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see also like what people would work out to or yeah. Crazy stuff. I I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I listen to slow, sad country music during like a heavy lift. (laughs) It's like some people can't relate to that.
2: That's my go-to. I can't do like angry music.
0: Yeah, no, I can't. like I can do angry music when I'm driving. Yeah, which is probably not good. <laughs> 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 what, is that, what does that say about us? Probably not good. <laughs> okay. Anyways, we'll get to introductions. Uh, this is a good friend of mine, Nate Palin. Um, I met him a few years back working at the NSCA. At the time, he oversaw the tactical program there. Um, he is an Army veteran, and I'll let him talk a little bit about his time there. And he can go as deep or as not deep as he wants to with that. <laughs> um, and then, as he kind of got out of the Army, got into human performance and strength and conditioning, and has spent most of his career outside of the military and strength and conditioning. Um, And then lives here in Colorado, very much enjoys the great outdoors. And so I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit as well. Um, But yeah, Nate, I'll let you get into your introductions and we'll get this conversation going.
2: Yeah, I feel like we, do we miss an opportunity for for an in-person live event? Yeah, probably. (laughs)
0: Like,
2: hey, we're both here in Colorado, but we decided to split the screen
0: yes uh well it just means we have to do it again a second Perfect. one and it'll be in person
2: i'm in coffee done deal especially if dave's in by the way i saw that dave was just on this i haven't tuned into it yet but i 100 percent will be yeah and i was like i can't watch him and then try to follow that up because the expectations would be astronomically
0: <laughs> uh, he at the end of it he uh, i was like where can people find you and he was like the coffee shop down the road and i was like that's a perfect response. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like brainstorming his next charcuterie endeavor or something like that. I love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I'll let you kind of get into your introduction.
2: Yeah. I, I think I'll do the brief version and we can always deep dive and, and yeah, uh, you know, in part because in, in terms of military service, I'm like longer and longer since removed. So it gets harder and harder to remember <laughs> that far back. Absolutely. Been a decent amount of beers and sleep deprivation since then too. Um But yeah, so, you know, out of high school, joined the Army, Army Ranger for a collective seven years, had a break in service to go to Butler University, Uh, did three years there, majored in marketing, which is where I discovered I didn't want to major in marketing. Um, And so instead, I I went back in for for a second enlistment. And since then, getting out, looking for like, hey, what do I do when I grow up, so to speak? Um, But also at the same time, an attempt to not grow up. And that landed me in the strength conditioning world. Go figure. <laughs> so it's it's a perfect or you never place. Grow up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a per- it's never never land. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been on the fringes anyway in the strength conditioning world ever since. Tightly tied back in as well to the tactical community um, through a different number of roles. So a strength coach within special operations. Uh, even a strength coach with my own business in Gen pop back in the day um, went to the NSCA, took over the tactical program there, which is really where I got to meet so many incredible people outside of my small, you know, bubble up there at first group. And, and then that kind of segued into a brief stint with, uh, fit ops, or I call it the artist formerly known as FitOps, um, university of health and performance, uh, still a place with, with great, great people I love dearly. And then, since the parting there, Vernon and I started the initiative, which has segued since into more of an independent endeavor with any given day, which is really my, my passion right now. Um, but passions don't always pay the bills. And luckily, my day job is also something incredible that I can be passionate about. Um, really, I lead operations, but currently my title is still education for Soldiers to Sidelines, which is 501c3 nonprofit that basically helps veterans segue into coaching positions, um, for the most part at the community level, so with youth and scholastic, but also up into collegiate and pro environments. And then that's not just strength and conditioning, although that is a line of effort. It extends beyond that into, I, I want to say we have something to the tune of nine different uh, sports.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a couple, your last couple of roles have been in that and and obviously something that's near and dear to your heart being in the military and getting out and transitioning into coaching. uh, You've kind of had a couple of roles that are very much related to that as far as, yeah, helping other folks who are in that transition phase of their life. Um, And I don't know, even that we've personally like had this kind of conversation, but like what was, how, how do you feel like coaching was a good transition for you? Like what, what were the benefits of that as far as kind of using it as a transition role, but also like, as you dove into it, figured out, yeah, we don't grow up here. Like coaching is a great world. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think part of it was, I mean, part of it just gave me something new to nerd out about, right? Like I was an army ranger and I loved the the environment and the camaraderie. Um, you know, it's like family there wasn't a separation between work and in my home life, and I didn't really care for there to be. Um, and so, in the and in the coaching world, we have similar people with similar mindsets, right? And and sort of that relentlessness of their approach, and a lot of like true professionals that are that are really working to stand out and hone their craft, but not in an individualistic way, like in a collective way. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, within the tactical setting, right? Because it's not like my team versus your team. Really, we're all on the same team. Yeah. So I think that's really what, what kind of like pulled me in that direction. And in part like, hey, I just like to work out. And I honestly, even though I like to work out, I worked out really stupid and I didn't know much about it. And then I, my eyes got open to this like professional world of X's and O's within strength and conditioning or human performance. And my first thought was like, wow, we need to bring this back to the special operations community. And it just worked out timing wise, because literally the year I got out, is the year they started what is now it might, well, money moved on to a new name. I think it's HPW, but basically the PODIF Preservation of Force and Family Initiative for Special Operations. And so I was able to kind of get in on the early end of that.
0: Yeah, what convenient timing there. That's the the Thor program, right? Which is now called yes. Okay, yeah. I guess yeah, so like
2: Thor, which is like a subcomponent that mutated into this bigger beast that's more holistic in nature. And then like obviously mm-hmm. the army has the H2F, yeah. um, you know, version of the same thing. What Really what you want to, whatever you want to call it at the end of the day, it's basically like, how do we do better at one, being a human mm-hmm. and two, being a warfighter?
0: Yeah, and absolutely. And not necessarily
2: have those things be so mutually exclusive.
0: Yeah, which is kind of like, yeah, your purpose in starting any given day and then kind of segues into, like I told you, a big reason why I wanted to have you on here is kind of that the soft truth of like humans are more important than hardware. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something that I know you're really big on. You've given presentations about it and just like the, the human aspect to not just coaching and training, but just having relationships in general. Um, why is that something that's so like near and dear to your heart? And how has that kind of like evolved for you?
2: Yeah, I'm going to take a half step back. And if I get too far off, pull me right back in. I promise like I'm only partially (laughs) avoiding what you're asking. Um, but then there's this irony that I've, I've been in this director of education role two times in a row and, or two with two different organizations. And it's kind of hilarious to me because one, like I have two online degrees, right? Um, two i am not an academic uh if you ask anybody that that knows me well they can definitely tell you that and then the whole idea behind any given day was that like i actually think like academia i don't say they're missing the mark but they're not the right person necessarily to deliver the message to Mm -hmm. the guy or girl on the ground and so my whole idea was like hey what i can help i speak both languages well enough that i can help translate this idealistic concepts from like the clouds of academia mm-hmm. and out of those textbooks and into the reality of the warfighter. And the other thing that I, I what I think helps with that is that, and this is where I'll, I'll get into your question is that I have a sen- sensitivity to that reality because I lived
3: mm-hmm. that reality. Absolutely. And
2: I've also, you know, getting older, I've also lived the evolution of that and what it means when some of what you've taken as normal, like, exits your life. So some of those extremes you're used to working in, they can jive really well when it's like deployment, home, training, deployment, home, training, and you're like in one world or you're out of it. And so you can dive into the extreme. You can step out on a dry land, dive into the extreme, step out on a dry land versus in the civilian world. It's like, Oh, it's Monday. It's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's, you know, it's nine to five. It's whatever it is. And you just don't have these like natural, uh places that allow for you to execute in these extremes and so you have to find a little bit of a middle ground admittedly myself like like most people struggled to find it and i think in part why we all struggle to find it is kind of you know to your point of of this idea of humans being more important than hardware i believe in it wholeheartedly but i also think that while it is the organization's responsibility to treat us as such and our roles as leaders at whatever level, even if it's more of a junior level, like I was is also to treat our people as such, which I did a terrible job of like my empathy for (laughs) somebody five years younger than me, but who had three kids was about zero. Right. And if a guy came to me, was like, Hey, I want to look at like lining up college. Instead of me being like, wow, how can we facilitate that for you? I'm like, well, you better not miss physical training and you better not miss the range tomorrow. And like your job is here. And again, because I was pushing them into these extreme buckets. And so for me personally, like I continue to kind of live that. And so when those extremes didn't exist, I manufactured them. And when you manufacture them, you can definitely get yourself into some trouble, um, at least from a lifestyle component. And uh, so that's, that's a little bit, I guess, of where I'm coming from. But the other part of it is, while it is leadership's responsibility, it's not theirs alone. And ultimately, at the end of the day, like, we're responsible for themselves. I mm. think it's Ben Simes, Major Ben Simes. who I'm stealing this from, from National Guard. Yeah, he's awesome. He says, like, you need to self-extricate, extricate, right? In fact, I'm going to say it again. You need to self-extricate. Mm. Nobody is coming to save you. And I think that that mentality... Is extremely, extremely important because part of what's great in the military is that people hold us accountable. But part of the problem is people hold us accountable mm-hmm. instead of us holding ourselves accountable. And then when you get out in the real world and you don't have that external pressure, that external accountability, what happens? The wheels can fall off, right? You can you can spiral. You can I, I love that by the way, I love the name of this podcast, right? And I love that like you're like all things wild, all things strange. Mm-hmm. Like I got the wild down. Let's not talk about my strength numbers. <laughs> For
0: sure. Absolutely. And shout out to Major Sims. He's awesome. And like what he's doing with the National Guard Performance Education Center, I think is incredible. Um, and I hope that all branches of the military, all units, everything kind of take into because I've met him personally and had some really good conversations with him. And, and similar to what you said, he's big on The human approach and a holistic approach, right, for the soldier um, and for them to take care of themselves. Like, yes, we we have other folks that we work with that we have to take care of. We signed up to be a part of the services because we want to take care of our community, our country or whatever. And I think that's always what's at the forefront of most people's minds, especially those um, that are in the military. But that goes to law enforcement um, and fire as well. And very rarely do those individuals choose to put themselves first, choose to take care of themselves. And kind of like you said, and you realized that you had a point where you were like, I didn't care about that person that was five years younger than me. And I wasn't being a great leader. And I just wanted to like, ultimately wanted things to be your way, work things out the way that you thought that they should have worked out. Um, As you are like removed from that and you kind of see that, yeah, we do have to take care of ourselves. Do you think, and this is always a question for me, myself being in the same field is, is it possible to get people to understand this while they're in? Because I find that it takes them to be removed from it to understand it.
2: It is tough, right? Like sometimes we need to be beat over the head with unfortunate circumstances before Mm -hmm. we're willing to like succumb to reality. And that definitely is the case for me, right? Like sometimes you need the bottom to bounce off of. Mm -hmm. And like what you're describing, right? I know Vernon and I talk about it as like, we were like going back and forth and and I still don't know the answer. Like, do we call it selfish selflessness or is it selfless selfishness? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, really the idea is like- you know, it's this whole, we're used to this world of putting the mission first, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of like you describing with with law enforcement, and some of the other public safety entities. And the problem is that, like, that has a shelf life, because if you don't at some point take care of yourself, you're not going to be in this position to prioritize others. And, you know, where that really happened with me, for example, is like with my family, right? So, I was not prioritizing my own health and eventually like they are who paid the price for it. And again, like even in the moment, I didn't see it. I didn't recognize it. Now I can look back almost like I'm standing outside, right? Like observing my own life in reverse. And, um, but the, to your point in the moment, it's, it's so hard to convince somebody now I wish more people would have convinced me because I think some saw it and they didn't necessarily see it, their place to step in and their silence might've facilitated it. But at the end of the day, like I own that. Right. And I will forever own that. Yeah. Like I can't live in it, but I do have to reconcile with it. And it does have to drive me in a better direction moving forward. So my answer is this, I guess, your actual question is, I think that we have to at least expose people to the idea early. Mm. and often and that it needs to come from a number of voices so going back to the conversation about ben where i think ben has such a beautiful mind is that he recognizes that like the military itself can't be the only solution it has to come from within the community within the family from uh other you know outside private organizations uh non like Anybody and everybody, if we can all echo some version, some overlapping version of that same message, which is like, take care of yourself. Um, you only get one chance at this. Yeah. Then that's, what's really going to be successful. Right. Because we all like, look, the army's not cool. Anything the army makes like, isn't cool. It's, it's mm-hmm. never going to be like, and, and I've been part of what makes that stuff. Same thing at the NSCA, right? Like any resource I create at the NSCA It could have some power for some, but for many, it's going to fall on deaf ears because like NSEA is not cool enough. But suddenly, you know, a modern athlete comes out and they put something out and they've got cool branding and they've got, you know, uh, a voice that sounds like your own. So it's coming from somebody who's an operator and somebody else who's a strength coach with an H2F, like suddenly that's going to resonate with soldiers. And so Mm. I think it's also important that when we're exposing folks, we're exposing them to a number of. Of, of different sources of a similar message. It doesn't have to be identical. It just has to be positive.
0: Yeah, I would agree. You had mentioned the concept of exposing it to them early and often, which I think is very true and, and how that should be done. And we've even had similar conversations outside of this along the lines of whether it's BMT, basic military training, um, or like a pipeline for any special operations or special warfare or whatever They beat the shit out of you they're yelling at you it's their intent is to belittle you whether they say that it is their intent or not that's exactly what it is that they're doing and and in a way it is to break these people down so that they're resilient and so that they can handle hard situations or or, or, however you want to phrase that right yeah we're kind of like you're doing and talking about exposing them early and often to holistic points of point of views points of views, however that would be said, <laughs> holistic perspectives, um, um, introducing them early and often to putting yourself first, taking care of yourself. Is that possible in this age of belittling them early on?
2: Yeah, so I think it is. And uh, you bring up a great point, right, which is like sometimes if you spend so much time beating people down, like what you're left with is just the compliant.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: this segues into a bit of a tangent, like a word that kind of drives me nuts is discipline. And it's just because I think of discipline as such like a mindless following kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And I prefer to replace it because everyone's like, oh, you can't always be motivated. And like, I agree with that. Absolutely. But what you can be is dedicated. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think dedicated can bring about some of those, those actions, um, that do require probably some level of discipline, but in the absence of motivation, right? Like if I'm dedicated to my own personal wellness, then I'm willing to do some things that might make me uncomfortable in order to obtain it. Um, as opposed to just being disciplined, which is like, I'm just following the orders of the person that's yelling at me because that's what I do. And that's what I've always done. Right. And so I do think you have to empower people, one with the space and the freedom to make some mistakes and learn from it. Yeah. And then uh, and then that comes with the education for them to make better choices, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that they're certainly going to, but you at least gave them that option versus if you control all the variables always, now what happens the moment, right, that like you relinquish that control, like that, whatever that is that you've been controlling is just going to explode and start to explore things and maybe in an unhealthy manner. So Um, You know, the the other thing that with what you brought up, this, this is something that drives me nuts is I always say like the military is screwing up in two places at one time. And that is like, they're either not stressing people enough, and it's just like cakewalk status, or Mm -hmm. it's so much stress that like there's no actual learning or progression that's taking place, right? Instead, they're just tearing whatever it is down. And instead, like there is a time for no stress in like a super clean, sterile, initial learning type of environment. Then there's a way you have to apply that, right? And this, you know, this better than I do, like mm-hmm. in a setting of escalating yeah. stress, right? We're on like the edge yeah. of your ability. We're like, you don't succeed every time, but you can't be failing the entire time either. And so it's like, there's this happy medium that I think a lot of uh, the military sector just really struggles with and it is something though that we understand really well in strength conditioning because we're always talking about, you know, these, these stimulus. So it's like, Hey, you have this stimulus and it has to be at the appropriate amount. Cause like if it's too much too soon, it breaks you. If it's not enough, you don't actually make any gains.
0: Yeah. Which is tough. And yeah, we've had similar conversations is the body can do incredible things and and there are going to be, especially in special operations. And even those who aren't in special operations, like if you're, downrange in combat, whatever that is, you might find yourself in situations that are beyond what you think you can handle. And so I understand the concept of exposing individuals and, and and the research we see that exposure to these stressful environments can help better prepare you when you're in them. But to consistently over and over again, expose them and tear them down and break them down to a point that once they get to this environment, they no longer have the capability of surviving in it for lack of a better word because they're so beaten down. So where that fine line exists, I could not tell you, and that is probably an answer that'll never be found. Um, but it is, yeah, I think exposure to those high stress situations is so important. But I think and not even just in the military, people think that if they're not exhausted all the time, they're not doing themselves any good. Um, which gets yeah. into like the training part of it too. Uh, but why do you think that that is a like mindset that is so prevalent in that population?
2: Yeah, I think part of it is that I just think that there's been a confusion between testing and training. Right. And so you can't tell the two apart and it's like, Hey, we're developing people for whatever, like, are you, or are you selecting people for that? Mm-hmm. And like, if you're selecting them, maybe you're seeing what they're made of. But at some point, the testing has to stop and like the investment portion has to begin. And it doesn't mean that like you can't test within training. It just means that like to what end, right? Just like I can get a gauge on where someone is at, let's say on their deadlift in three week in week three of a six week program without Mm -hmm. having them max out, right? Like it tells me enough. And it's still they're still uh, investing in that day. It's not a withdrawal. It's still making them better in the long term. I think we can do the exact type of thing with other stress stressors, whether physical stressors, psychological, emotional really doesn't even matter. It's like, can we not find ways to kind of gauge where they're at while still moving them toward a better outcome? And I think testing can be really valuable one for the selection portion. Like, yeah, we can't waste all our time investing people who are so far from where they even need to be to get started. And I also think it can be great for awareness. So like your awareness of what you're working with and also people's awareness of themselves. Great example that comes to mind at Seer school, we do like a mini version, right. Of like of, of the capture portion. Right. And so all they really do is like you do this mini version Everybody screws up royally. They let you know you screw up royally. You all say, yes, I didn't. Like I came in here with a preconceived idea of what it took to survive. I now realize that I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm all ears. Please teach me how to do this correctly moving forward so that I don't feel this feeling again. And so like I think there's value in that. I think there's value in bringing people to their breaking point, but that has to give way, that has to surrender to you, you, you decide that like, Hey, this person is worth investing in building back up
3: mm.
0: off to or on topic, but unrelated the one school that if I was in the military that I would want to go to, and maybe this makes me crazy. I don't know. is your school. <laughs> and I hear that women get, get it bad there. And so everyone is like, you would never want to go being a female, but just to like experience i mean i'm all for even when i when i was more on the coaching side of things and working with like all four being exposed to similar environments obviously i'll never be exposed to exactly uh, what you guys are exposed to but at least similar environments to have an understanding and i'm like that's the one school that i'm like i just want to see what it's because i feel like it's the i don't want to say the the holy grail <laughs> of what you experience but it definitely gives a really good idea uh unrelated to that um as far as the resilience building resiliency goes and kind of like we were talking on a second ago as like belittling or degrading or the discipline part that you're talking about early on. um, Do you even feel like that builds resiliency? Because I have mixed opinions on it personally.
2: (laughs) No, I don't don't think that it creates it, right? I think that it assesses it really more than Mm. anything. Okay. Um, Yeah. Like, or maybe exposes it.
0: Okay. Um, sense.
2: you know, kinda like the idea I know Mops and Moe says this all the time about like the ACFT, like it it didn't create a fitness issue, it exposed a fitness mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. You know, same thing. Like I I don't think that those type of environments necessarily like yield a bad situation, but I think that they can definitely kind of expose you to the reality of the situation. And um but I don't like, I don't think it's the best way to go about business, but I, there's this, like, I'm a little split, right? Because there is value to some extent as been in those situations and seeing Mm -hmm. people that like, they had the physical attributes needed. They were not pushed beyond their physical abilities. They were pushed beyond their mental abilities. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: at the time anyway, like the military was not equipped to develop those mental abilities um and it really wouldn't have even necessarily been worth it cuz like if you got 200 people going through a selection that you know about 60 are going to finish like you don't need to spend all the time with the other 140 right and so oh yeah i've seen people who are like way less physically fit be able to endure a lot more physical stress because they were strong mentally and yeah. i do think that there is value in that because it kind of gets us to like, Hey, who one really wants to be here and like is willing to push themselves to a level that others can't. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: So I do, I do think there's a value. I just think that the value is limited. And at some point, probably sooner than later, like that stress, that excessive stress application needs to be toned down Mm -hmm. and it, it needs to give way to giving people the tools to be to, to better mitigate stressors, both from a physical side of the house and a mental side of the house, because you know this is this is a little bit random, but like the other side of it is like who do you want? Like do do you want? Let's say you've got somebody you know that like they run a two mile in thirteen minutes, right? And it comes easy to them, and then you've got somebody who runs a two mile in fourteen minutes, but that person who's running it in fourteen is doing it at like eighty percent. Mm -hmm. And the other person's doing it at 70%, like who's working harder, like one is fitter. So that tells you something. But the other one obviously can tap into some sort of mentality that is also valuable. And so again, I think all of that stuff just gives you information, Mm
0: -hmm. then you
2: should use that information to guide how you best develop these people.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I think very good points that you made. And that's the value of going as a team, working as a team, right? Like a good functioning, high functioning team and whatever setting you're in, right? If it's in business, if it's in sport, if it's in the military, has people who have their strengths and their weaknesses and where one person might be lacking here, you want someone on your team who can pick up that slack. And so the, as, as you were saying, that kind of the question in my mind was coming up of, the folks who are very mentally resilient, and I've seen it myself being in the training pipeline, these kids who are fresh out of high, kids, literal kids, <laughs> they're fresh out of high school, they've never really even been active in their life, they played video games all their life or whatever, they're not physical like grunts by any means, but their ability to persevere and push through the hard shit is unbelievable. You see them, and, and I remember one time there was one kid, I can't remember his name to save my life, which I wouldn't say it on here anyways, but... It was like first day of the class, and I'm like, buddy, you're not gonna get very far just by looking at him. Right? He's like my size, eight. Like maybe he's my height. Like even smaller than me weight wise. And like, buddy, you're gonna have it rough. And now he's he's got selected, and he's gone through the pipeline and all this stuff. And because he was mentally resilient, he was able to push through all of these things. And so I had a question that came up early on, and what you were saying was like. Is there a point where the mental resilience only takes you so far, but then thought crossed my mind of like, yeah, a high functioning team has a little bit of everything. You don't just want someone, you don't want all these physical grunts who start to tap out a little bit when, when they're mentally tired, because that's okay. As long as you have those folks on that same team who, man, I, I can push my mental, like mentally I can push way farther than these guys.
2: Well, I think you bring up two good points, and I'm probably going to forget the second one, I'll, but I'll start with the first, is without a doubt, like one, like, for example, I don't think that my mindset is any less resilient than it was when I went through different selection processes, right? But if anything, it's considerably stronger, but my fitness level is very different. I won't even say it's lower, it's different. And so like, it's less conditioning focused. It's a little bit more probably strength focused. And, but if, but like, I can't go out there right now and just will myself to the same two mile time that I ran when I was 27. Right. And so like, part of what happens is, is a lot of people remember, like they remember the, their level of fitness. Right. And they're like, oh, I was the fittest at whatever time. Mm -hmm. And what they forget is, like that, that was the realization of this accumulation of all the effort that they put consistently put in over time. And they just think that like, Oh, I was just fit because like, I just had it up here. And it's like, no, you were fit. Cause you had it up there and you were in basic training. So you were doing five days a week of training. You were yeah. sleeping eight hours a night. You were eating food regularly. You were removed from some of the other stressors of your world. You grew up playing video games and now you're not, you know, doing that with your, with your time, et cetera. So like, I think that like a lot of us just forget that everyone forgets the process and they just remember like where, where they ended up. And then the other thing that I wanted to hit was the totally unrelated, but related to what you said is this idea of team, right? So yeah. for myself, for example, I also think, maybe this would be something cool for you to research down the road is, um, For me, I love collective suffering. So like if I'm in a group of people who are getting their butt kicked, I like thrive in it. And when people quit from that, I like that just drives me twofold. And like at Seer School, if I'm getting hit and everyone sees it, I love it. If I'm alone and I'm not getting hit, but I'm just alone by myself, like my stress level is escalated because like I don't thrive in an individual environment. And so, you know, in some some selections are selecting for people who are going to be a good teammate and some are selected for people who need to be better on their own and like like i can handle on my own but it's not my preference and i don't thrive there and so like even the way that i perceive stress i think is mitigated by whether or not i'm by myself or within a collective of people
0: no that's a a very interesting point and and yeah kind of like i've mentioned before some and not everyone, but some people like suffering together it, it, as far as a team working teams, workings of a team, I can't talk, goes, um, it does help build that sense of camaraderie and, and you're you're with people who are willing to go through this suffering with you. Um, But kind of like you mentioned, not everyone responds the same. Maybe it did build that camaraderie, but you get to the end of that and someone is like, I'm the most stressed I've ever been in my life. And that suffering was the worst. And I hope that I never have to go through anything like that again. Whereas I think I'm similar to you. Obviously, I've not been in these situations that you've been in. But like if I'm doing like a hard workout with somebody or like if I'm doing a hike or something with somebody who thinks that this is hard, this is challenging, and this is suffering and I don't want to do it. That just motivates me to push that much harder to want to get through it that much more. Um, so, and then as far as like the kind of recovering from an individual's perspective or how stressed you are from an individual's perspective, um, yeah, I'd have to do a lot of like research into that. I think that goes far beyond what any of my education is even in. And that's definitely more of like a neuropsychology side of things and probably gets into like how are they brought up, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's definitely value in having both of those people though on your team. Um, and I think only at really high levels in my experience anyways do people realize that right like lower levels whether it's military or business or whatever i don't think recognize the value of having all of these different strengths Um, they really want to hone in on just having all of the good people for that one thing that they want to do versus where where can i find people to pick up my slack and i think more and more is that maybe becoming recognized but definitely not as often as it should for sure
2: Yeah. And one thing I want to kind of like go back to is like when you were asking about like whether I think it's, it's beneficial to have these like high stress selection environments. What I will say is I think that if, if like the high stress is always coming through physical application, I think that shows like one, a little bit of like a lack of creativity on behalf of say the cadre Mm -hmm. and just like, them not understanding the mentality of the people they're stressing, right? Like most people at that point are used to being physically stressed, yeah. but suddenly like you disrupt their sleep, you take a meal away, you like create some sort of time constraint, right? Like these other things or heck you like plant the seed of anxiety in their mind and uncertainty in their mind. Like more, less people quit in the moment and more people quit between the moments Right. And so like, that's why they always talk about that mentality of like, oh, I'll quit tomorrow. Cause once you're in it, you're in it, but it's those moments between, I'll never forget. I had to go back through the ranger assessment when I came back into the military. So like I was the class leader for this group and they come over the loudspeaker one night and they're like, Hey, everybody, like you thought today was hard. Tomorrow's going to be even harder. And, uh, you know, if you want to quit, just go ahead and line up outside of your class leader's door and just let him know and he'll bring you down to the cadre. And I I'm like laying in my bunk and I'm just laughing. I'm like, who's going to quit right now? We're all just like laid up. We just made it through yeah. a tough day. We're fine. I walk out to go to the bathroom and there's a line of 10 people right outside my door in the hallway and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, Sergeant Penel, I just can't. I can't I can't do this anymore." And you're like, "Holy cow," right? And it's just because they planted that seed of doubt mm-hmm. and uncertainty and like like, "Hey, here's what's coming tomorrow." And that was enough to get people to to withdraw. And same token most people withdraw on day zero, right? Like cadre come out, you haven't done anything. You've got a crowd of let's say 200, 300 candidates. And they're like, Hey, who wants to save themselves the time? Raise your hand now. We'll put you anywhere you want to go. We'll make sure you go to an airborne unit, whatever it is. And like, you're just blown away because half of the hands go up and then like, right there, it starts like half the class is gone.
0: Yeah. And I've seen it. It's So like I've seen it happen, and now as you're saying it, I'm sitting here like with the biggest grin on my on my face because I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Like day zero, these kids are coming from BMT; they're coming to like really the first exposure of what special warfare might be. And hands go up, like I'm ready to quit. I'm scared. Yeah. Like I, I'm on this turf; I haven't even started this course yet, but I'm scared. I'm quitting. or like you said, the moments where um they if they knew a big like training day was coming or a big like stressful event was coming and they never it it was like we weren't allowed to tell them as coaches when it was coming so they weren't ever supposed to know but obviously they talk to people who have been in the course before and they have an approximate idea of like what week it's gonna fall what day it's gonna fall on and about that time is when the most people quit and that's like the night before they think that it's gonna be and maybe it doesn't even happen the next day but They just quit because they thought that it was coming up. Why do you think and I've never thought in depth about this, so I might like my my wheels are turning and as you give an answer I might have something to say too. Why do you think that is, that, that people quit more in the moment that or like between moments, like you said, than in the moment?
2: I mean, I'd say like, that's a great question for the building, the elite guys. I'm pretty (laughs) sure they've had a few posts on that and I don't want to like bastardize the answer. So I won't try to give the answer in any type of, of scientific way. I'll give the answer in like through the eyes of the the person who's probably had some of those feelings or seen others succumb to those feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is like, it's like anything, right? Like action is the antidote to fear because Mm -hmm. you know, you like, if you're, bombing down a hill on a mountain bike you're probably not scared but when you're like up at the top and you're looking over what you're about to embark on mm. like that's when you're afraid and so I, th- I think that's really it is this like they create these deliberate moments of inaction where you start to stew and you start to have these you know this self-doubt these negative thoughts um and then you you start to like uh, catastrophize the situation mm-hmm. you know and what you start to do is you start to put extra emphasis or extra importance on things that weren't that important yesterday, right? Like if your back hurt a little, suddenly your back hurts a lot. And it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't because I might really hurt myself. And then if I really hurt myself, I'll get medded out. And then if I'm, if I'm medicaled out, well, now I can't even be a soldier. So I might as well like quit now. Cause then if I quit now, I can still go to 82nd airborne and jump out of airplanes. <laughs> I'm like, that's what's best for my family. It's like, you just like this yeah. thing can untangle really, really quick. Right. And like, That's why I also think that part of what was so powerful in going through like, like RIP the first time way back, um, holy shit, over 20 years ago. Um, so like going through that, right. Having the weekends, like, what do we do? Like we partied, like we, we filled that all of that time with something that did not allow us the time to think about what was next in the worst scenarios is if like you ran in and let's say in the hotel lobby you ran into somebody who was like three weeks ahead of you or two weeks ahead of you. And then they're telling you these stories and then that starts to get your mind going. And so it's like, instead you just got to stay occupied with other stuff that doesn't even allow you the time to think about what's coming next. So it's like, again, I think action is that antidote to fear. And I even think the action can be a distraction. I don't think it has to be related to whatever that fear entails.
0: Yeah. You struck a whole different chord with me right now (laughs) and like not, On the same topic, but like kind of shifting gears a little bit, something that I'm like very passionate about is like mental health, but specifically mental health and the tactical setting and specifically more specifically like men's mental health. And obviously women in that setting struggle with it as well. Um, And the reason it struck that chord you're talking about just like filling your mind with other things and just going out and drinking on the weekends and all of those things And we have these high number of people who, whether they're still in the military or they've left the military, who are filling their mind with, and this is maybe going to get deep here really fast, (laughs) who are filling their mind, uh, but I'm I'm all for those conversations, with alcohol, with all these things, staying busy, trying to not think about um, maybe things that are going on at home, or maybe they're removed and they're like depressed because they're not, Being in these high stress situations in which they thrive in um, and so filling their mind with all of these other negative things and there are positive ways you can fill your mind too and we'll get into. um, That's keeping them from quitting and by quitting, I mean quitting life, right? Like I said, this is going to get deep kind of quick. And yeah, so that's kind of why that chord was struck with me. what are ways and you kind of even mentioned yourself like negative ways obviously are going out and drinking all the time. Like if you're out, out, and out or out of the military, maybe you start doing drugs of sorts or whatever. And this will this will kind of segue more to an outdoors part of uh, this podcast as well. Um, like what are ways that you feel like people can, whether it's just filling their mind or filling space or time, um, to really avoid situate, whether it's to avoid quitting, uh, or whether like actually in a course or just giving up on anything in general, um, or just quitting like life. Like what are some ways that have, because I know you've been real big into being into the outdoors and how big that's been for you. Um, but even stuff outside of that, what are some ways that you kind of recommend for people to just fill that space when you feel like all else is about to break loose?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the opposite, right? So, that is that is a great segue um you know with what we were just talking about you know I even mentioned how like that that I relied on action right, mm-hmm. and that that did translate then later into other other things right so like anytime there was like discomfort felt um the solution was action, which is easy when action is the range action is you know your your third mission of the day in missoul like Mm-hmm. action is breaching a door action is like all of the cool stuff, but it's a lot tougher when you come into your home life and you don't have necessarily a healthy action, mm-hmm. um, that isn't work related to substitute. Right. And so like, I would say like instead I rejected reality and I substituted my own right. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: my own, Was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like to put it, you know, a little bit tongue in cheek, but also a little bit literal. Yeah. Like you start to find other ways to entertain yourself. You start to find other ways to touch the fire Hmm. and in settings where it's not appropriate for you to do so. And so that becomes extremely, extremely important, right? Like that one that you try to figure out, like identify and like, Except that you're engaging with these health, health uh, unhealthy, um, you know, lifestyle alternatives that are then starting to negatively affect other components of your life, all because you're not grown up enough to sit down and engage with your shit. And so, I think that that's kind of the first part of it is like acceptance and acceptance as in like this is your reality Mm -hmm. not acceptance as in like oh let the world move you right Mm -hmm. and so once you've accepted that that's your reality the next part of it is like okay i need to substitute these unhealthy ways that i'm trying to mitigate stress which are actually then just compounding and creating more stress right with healthy ones and you know for me the biggest biggest component of all of that is what really suffered due to poor um you know stress management techniques was sleep and i always called like sleep my final final frontier so Mm -hmm. like even when i was like training the most and looking good and feeling good and whatever it was like i was still sleeping like maybe four hours a night right and like we're talking for 20 plus years of my life, I probably averaged four to like the high side, six hours of sleep a night. And now, so the idea is like, oh, we'll just fix your sleep. But like sleep, right, was was downstream. And so like I had to get further upstream. Well, what was upstream? Alcohol was upstream. Mm
3: -hmm. Okay.
2: What's upstream from alcohol, right? And it's like, well, avoidance. Avoidance of what? Reality. Okay. Well, how do you not avoid it? Well, you talk about it. (laughs) Okay. So now who do you talk about it with? Right. And so for me, part of the solution was finding the right therapist Mm -hmm. uh, to engage with. And, and that was a struggle, right? So like take one, like I walk, I walked into this woman's office and the moment I hit the door, I had dismissed her, right? Like Mm
3: -hmm. she was
2: overweight. She didn't look me in the eyes. She didn't get up to shake my hand. She didn't know anything about me the world I came from. She didn't listen to anything I had to say. She just wanted to hook me up to some stuff and like, Oh, she has a solution for me, even though she never heard out the problem. Well, what happened because of that bad experience? I didn't go back and try anything again for at least two, it might've been closer to three years. Right. And then, so it took a little bit of like therapist roulette to finally find the person that worked for me and this goes all the way back into where we started the conversation which is like how do you let people know when they're early in their career and they might be ignorant to this stuff that like this is important Mm -hmm. and again it's those different voices so like what really helped me is that i know a few folks who are former operators who i highly respect who have seen a lot of success through therapy and so like for me that that therapy was massive now same token like I battled back and forth with that and with alcohol. And here's part of the biggest problem I think that a lot of us struggle with. We're high performers. So like I could smash 12 drinks, still show up to work the next day, function very well from a work perspective, right? And like do that day in and day out and travel all over the world, the NSCA and like no problems. But like something's paying somewhere. Mm -hmm. And what was paying for me was my personal life. And so, mm-hmm. like that's part of the problem is like our high performance, in spite of our bad decisions, masks the negative effects of those bad decisions. And so, again, that's why I go back to acceptance. Like the first thing you have to do is accept that, like this is a fucking problem.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: you know, the moment I did the therapy, certainly helped. Um, you know, this year is the first year that I'm that I'm not drinking at all. So like, I, I don't keep track, but we're at New Year's Eve, literally New Year's Eve at midnight uh, was my last beverage. And, um, yeah. you know, so now we're 10 months, 17 days in the end of the year. Right. And like, for me, like that's, I, I've also recognized in that, that like, that's still not everything. Like I still need to engage with my shit. I still need to sleep. I still need fitness. And a big part of all of that, um, which is maybe where we're going. I don't know where we're going. Um, me either. <laughs> is, is the outdoors, right? Like yeah. exposure to sunshine regularly, getting in activity, breathing fresh air, not everything's on like sets and reps and on a sheet. Like sometimes it's just about like freedom um, and, mm-hmm. and the value of that and the value of disconnecting and unplugging and spending some time, like prioritizing your own self through, you know, through activity, I just think is is super, super powerful and definitely important for me um, you know, now the things that you typically hold me back from sleep is if I have a day that's like heavy work, high stress, and I don't get outside, like I don't mm-hmm. expose myself to the elements, like that's typically when I struggle with sleep.
0: Yeah. First, thank you for for sharing that. I know you mentioned, um, you hadn't listened to the one with Dave yet that just came out today, but we kind of touch on, yeah, just being aware of it first because you're, you can't really help your problems or fix your problems if you're not aware of them first and foremost. Um, and also having someone to talk to. And I, I know you mentioned a therapist and I highly recommend anyone going to one if you find yourself needing or wanting one or whatever. But if that seems like so far-fetched and you're not willing to open up to someone who doesn't know anything about you, like personally, I like that because they have they only know what I tell them. (laughs) So I like that a lot versus if you're telling a friend, they have a deeper insight into what you're telling them and they're going to have all these other things to say. But if you, if you don't feel comfortable going to a therapist, like please talk to a friend or a teammate or someone in the team room or whatever, talk to them about it. Because simply just like getting it out of your head, putting words to it, even, uh, has a huge benefit. And that was kind of like something me and Dave, um, really touched on was just talking about it with someone and having that group of people, or maybe it's just one person that you can go to. And I've, I've even been in situations where like, whether it was students in the training pipeline or just like guys in a unit who have come up to me and like have shared this story that I'm like, I I'm so glad that I gave this space for them. Um, but in the moment, you're kind of like, ah, it, to, 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 to be the person who, and I have always, I have this weird thing about me that like even a person next to me on a plane just like spills their deepest, darkest stories to me. And I love it because I love that feeling of like giving, like I said, giving someone that space because they probably very much needed to say that. Um, but then it's also like can take a toll on you too so then i have to like all right have someone else that i can tell this person's story to because you kind of just got this never-ending cycle of of trying to just get things out of your mind but i think especially in the military setting and and men in general um, they keep everything in their head and they they don't share those things Um, and just really shining a light on that it's okay to a like you said be aware um and once you have awareness like it's okay to talk to people about those things whether yeah it is a therapist a friend a family member your partner or whatever um because I think even too like people just don't think it's okay to talk about um and then yeah you mentioned like the outdoors and I know you like you've been in Colorado for a while now and you always mention like you never want to leave somewhere where you can just go outdoors and have that benefit what even outside of just like your mental health, like kind of what has the outdoors and especially being here in Colorado and in the mountains so close to them, like, what has that been for you and like how much do you feel like that's helped you?
2: Yeah. Honestly, what has been for me is I talked earlier about like that need to, to keep touching the fire, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think the outdoors provides that, like there's nothing more humbling than mother nature. Right. And so okay. like, I always say like I run, but I'm not a runner. I ski, but I'm not a skier. I mountain bike, but I'm not a mountain biker. Mm-hmm. So what that really means is like I do all those things, and I'm not good at any of them. Sable. And what it's great is like it's it's humbling, and it's hard, mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable, and sometimes there's components of fear involved, especially more with like skiing, mountain biking, and and the, and and you dive into them right, and that's your opportunity to like touch the fire, and so it it removes a lot of that drive for me to find other ways to get that same feeling,
3: right? Mm -hmm. And
2: like, if I think about it, like even the few times that were easiest for me to like not drink is like a ski trip or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, Paul Goldberg, like a mountain bike weekend with Paul Goldberg. Like I know he's going to bury me. (laughs) And so like one, just from purely a hydration standpoint, I don't really (laughs) want to drink. But two is like, I'm scratching that itch already Mm -hmm. through a different means. And so I think that that's what the outdoors provides. And I'll be honest, like, I already know that one of my deathbed regrets, not that I can't turn this around in this very moment is like, I don't do it enough. Like I don't get out enough. I don't ride my bike enough. Mm -hmm. I don't ski enough. I don't do any of those things. And I tend to find excuses, Mm -hmm. even though I know that when I do them, like it immediately changes my mindset, both in the moment. And then like, Beyond it, right? Everything that I engage with when I'm physically active and especially in those outdoor specific sports, like suddenly has a whole different tone to it compared to when I'm, when I'm not getting outside.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. The concept or phrase of touching the fire. And maybe that's what I title this episode (laughs) is touching the fire. Cause like you said, you, you initially brought that up in terms of like high performers, And I think high performers innately just want to not even do hard things. They just want to be challenged Um, Mm -hmm. and to be able to, I think, yeah, mother nature and the outdoors is humbling no matter like, no matter what you're doing, even if you're just going for like a walk, for some people being out in the heat when it's hot or in the snow, when it's snowing, just getting outside is like a stretch for them. Um, Or you you add in hiking or mountain biking or running outside, just being in any outdoor settling is very humbling. Uh, And I think it does scratch that itch, like you said, um, for those high performing people. Uh, But I also think on under the same breath those high-performing people are the ones who are doing that the least because they're so caught up in their job or whatever it is that they feel like they need to be performing well in. They put all of their effort into that, which is commendable. Like, I'm I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that ends up also being the same thing that's causing them the most stress. Um, So kind of like you mentioned, when you're able to just take – maybe it is 30 minutes to get outside and go for a run. Like, the benefit – That most people will see and doing that when they take that 30 minutes outside and they're still scratching that itch or touching the fire from that high performance setting, um, I think is immense and most people yet don't realize that And, and we're fortunate to be in a place like Colorado where it is sunny. 99% of the time whether it's hot cold or whatever um so it is easier to do and I can imagine living in like Washington or somewhere where it's cloudy for half the year because I know I'd be a wreck (laughs) like the the sun helps a ton um but even then I I find challenge like I love going for a run in the rain which people think I'm crazy for (laughs) but like it's kind of double scratching the itch there right like I'm getting outside and and the sound of rain is I don't know a good sound to me. It's refreshing to me to hear. Um, but I'm getting outside and it's even more challenging and less people are doing it because it's raining. Um, but God, yeah, I could not live somewhere where it's gray because I just mentally, that would not be great for me.
2: I I lived in the Pacific Northwest for most of my adult life. So I understand that. And now that I've moved to Colorado, I'm never going back. Um, yeah, I mean here like the outdoors is accessible, which is incredible, right? It's something they need to do a better job with on military installations actually. Yeah. And then um like I do I love I love the elements. And so like they they also never really bother me. I always say like not getting cold is kind of a superpower of mine. And so like go for a run in the rain, go for a run in the cold, the snow, whatever doesn't doesn't bother me. I don't think twice about it. And what's cool in Colorado is it's the exception instead of the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of like, especially refreshing in, in that regard. And I should mention the touch the fire concept. Well, I'm sure it dates back forever. I stole from the first Sergeant from RASP who came on the Mops and Mo's podcast, because what he was talking about was these new candidates. The question was kind of like, Hey, the new candidates aren't as good as the candidates of old. Right. And he was like, they're the same, like they might not be as physically fit or as athletic, as we were say 20 years ago, but they're the same type of person. And it's that warrior spirit, I think, as he put it, which is the type of person that wants to like step into the unknown, see what they're worth and touch the fire. And Mm -hmm. so like, I've grabbed that and I'm, yeah, I don't want to make it my own. Um, I want to make sure I give credit where it's due, but it is such a powerful phrase that I think really just sums things up really well. And I think it helps explain why we struggle when we transition from that life of having that adventure kind of scripted for us Mm -hmm. to one where we have to choose our own.
0: Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's almost like, sometimes people will say little phrases and I'm like, I want to get that as a tattoo. But if I keep doing that, (laughs) I'm going to have all these little (laughs) phrases like tattooed all over me. I'm just going to have like a leg full of just like phrases that people said that I really liked. I wouldn't put it past me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the, you bring up, mops and mows and i've kind of talked to alex a little bit too i want to have him on here he like brings a great perspective for a lot of this as well um especially with kind of what his background is um but yeah this this conversation has been great and we could i feel like anyone that i have on here i've had such incredible like mostly friends that i've had on here right and i the reason i started this podcast was to just expose these great conversations that i have with just great incredible people smart people that i know um so i imagine most people will be like repeat offenders on here because there's (laughs) just like hours and hours of things that i feel like we could talk about Uh, but i do know that most people don't listen to super long (laughs) conversations too so trying to be smart with it here um i do want to end this conversation like i said this is this has been great and we'll definitely continue this sometime um, but today with, uh, I I've asked all my guests, what does wild strength mean to you? And that can be a loaded question, or it can be a very short answer. Uh, feel free to go with that, do with that, what you, how you want to answer it.
2: Yeah, I could go the easy route and, 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 and quote, touching the fire again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll say this, I think wild strength to me is, what is our relationship with the unscripted? Mm. And, and I say that because I think a lot of times, as soon as we say strength, we think X's and O's and exercise and prescriptions. And I think we forget about like strength. All of that is great, but really all it is is to prepare us to apply that strength in real world scenarios where nothing is scripted. Mm. And, so when I hear that like the term wild strength I feel like it's a qualifier that puts strength back where it belongs which is out into the world and not necessarily just under a barbell.
0: Yeah, no I think that's a really a really good answer to that and yeah most people want to talk about strength in terms of yeah, the X's and O's and it's a very black and white concept and I think even In specific to training, it's not a very black and white concept. There's so many variables that play into like legitimate strength training that most people don't take into consideration either. Um, Where can people find you, Nate? I know uh, i kind of mentioned earlier on he is his kind of thing now. His website is any given day, Um, really just educating the warfighter. uh, But I highly encourage everyone to give it a look um, because there is some good information for anyone to learn. Um, Where can they find you on social media? All that jazz.
2: Yeah. So the easiest is just AGD ready, right? Any given day ready. So like on Instagram, it's AGD underscore ready, um, uh, YouTube AGD ready and, uh, LinkedIn. I'm actually fairly active on, um, it's just my name, Nate Palin. And then the website is AGD com. So really any of those places work well, um, each can link to the other.
0: Perfect.
1: Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of the wild strength podcast. I feel like I end all of these saying that it was such a great person or it was my favorite episode or my favorite conversation. And I will continue to probably end all of the episodes saying that because I just know so many cool people, guys. And I really hope that I am one day half as cool as some of these people or half as smart as some of these people. Um, that was really uh, another big reason in starting a podcast was just to highlight and showcase some really cool people that I know and the great conversations that I have with them. Um, um, thanks again. Like I said, thanks for listening. If you could find the page on Instagram and follow, it is Wild Strength Podcast. Um, and if you could also like and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whichever one of those you listen to. The full videos are also available to watch on YouTube if that's your thing. Um, And like always, if there's a platform that you listen to that is not currently on and you would like for it to be on there, uh, just reach out, let me know, and I'll try to find a way to get it there.